2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start reading in verse 14. We're going to read through 14 through 21. It says, For the love of Christ, this is Paul speaking, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Before I get started expounding this passage, I'd like to give you a little bit of a context of what Paul's been saying. But I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever become so concerned for yourself that you've neglected to care for the people around you? Have you at times become dull to the fact that the world around us is, for the most part, dying and going to hell? Have you ever felt so beat down that you wanted to quit serving the Lord where He has given you opportunity to? And I don't mean forsake God completely. I hope none of us have gotten there, but to the point to where we just want to rest, just sort of go with the flow, go to church on Sunday. I'd be lying if I said I've never had that temptation. In fact, Paul himself quit for a time. In 2 Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 13, the scriptures tell us that the Lord had opened a door for Paul to start a church in Troas, but he had no rest in his spirit and left. In other words, he was so distressed, he had endured much. And he was so distressed that he forsook an opportunity that the Lord had for him to start a church. We don't know all the details, but perhaps people had gotten saved. But Paul was so burdened down, he had endured suffering. 2 Corinthians 1.9 says that he had the sentence of death in Asia. He had suffered defamation. The men at Corinth counted him a liar for not visiting Corinth as he had planned to. 2 Corinthians 1, 17-23 tell us that. The people had, he had suffered so much for doubted his very apostleship. He had worry for the church at Corinth over how they had received his correction from his epistles. Now, there's, it's, it's a big study to try to figure out you know, whether or not there was a third epistle and all that, but that's, that's not the point of this message. Now, it could have been that he had a lot of correction and reproof, as we've learned in 1 Corinthians, that epistle that he sent to them. But he had to correct some things. He had to deal with some serious problems at the church at Corinth. 
and he was so burdened over it. However, he did not stay in rebellion against God. He came to the realization of the great responsibility and privilege he had to spread the gospel. He asked the question, Who is sufficient for these things? Which could, be in, which could be translated, who is worthy of these things? To spread the gospel, to tell others of the saving gospel of Christ. He came into the right perspective. His suffering no longer mattered. He states in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8-10, through 10, he says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. Wow, what a change. Perhaps there are some in this audience that have neglected the great responsibility and privilege they have to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. Perhaps there are some here that are discouraged and have just been taking it easy, have not been taking the ministry Christ has given us as seriously as they should. If this is the case, then such a person must, as Paul did, recognize the responsibility and privilege they have as ministers of the gospel. Until the church of God sees the world as Christ does, it will never accomplish the work it was sent to do. Ultimately, the Lord could just say, you know, remove his candlestick from his church. You're not being obedient. I sent you to be the light into the world, but you're not being obedient. You're not telling others as I've commanded you to. In our text, Paul is encouraging Corinth and reminding them of their privilege and the responsibility they have to proclaim the gospel. Before we begin looking at this text, I'd like to spend, just like to pray for a moment. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray you just give me wisdom and help me not to, to butcher this passage or to just be confusing, Lord. It's powerful. It's greatly convicted me. And Lord, I pray that it would edify your church. Help me not to confuse it. Lord, use your word to accomplish what you intend. In Jesus' name, amen. So we need to see the world as Christ sees the world in order to be effective. I have four points. The first point is the purview of Christ's ministry, or it could be stated the scope of Christ's ministry. It extended into all of the world. Look at verses 14 through 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Christ's atonement is unlimited atonement. And what I mean by that, I don't mean that everybody is saved because Christ died on the cross, but he has offered it to all. He's paid the penalty for all men, regardless of what the Calvinists might tell you. It's unlimited. He's paid the price for all. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. 1 John 2.2, 2, And he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There is nobody that Christ has neglected. 
He's paid for the sins for all men. He didn't choose a select few. He didn't die for a select few or for those who would be saved. He died for all sinners. Acts 13.46, this is an interesting passage I thought about when pastor preached a message Sunday about how Christ saw us worthy. Acts 13, verses 46 says this, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should, should first have been spoken to you, speaking to the Jews, but seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. See, the Lord had told them to go out to the Gentile, or to the Jews first, but then also to the Greek. They came explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they have rejected it. It's not that Christ did not offer the Jews salvation. He offered it freely. But they counted themselves unworthy. Where God counted them worthy, they counted themselves unworthy of God. Until you and I understand that there's no person in this world that is too dirty to be saved. Now, there does come a time where I believe conviction no longer happens. But you and I do not know when that is. And if you and I become so dull, we see sinners, you know, I'm, like I said, the Lord has greatly burdened me and convicted me about this. As we stand, you know, in line at the grocery store, as we see sodomites, as we see effeminate men, you know, it, 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 it does, it churns my stomach. But Christ died for them. Christ loves them. You know, there's no sin. You know, there's not, you know, there's, we, we, think, we look at sodomites as like, oh, that's just, that's just so disgusting. That's so far gone. Christ died for them too. Secondly, we see that the purview of Christ's ministry is unfettered by race or religion. Look at verse, six, or verse 16 of our text. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Acts 17, 26-27 says, and, and, he hath made, or, and, he, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. See, Christ's atonement, it wasn't just for, you know, it wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for, you know, us good Christians who live in America and that have been so, you know, culturized to, to, yeah, God is good. No, he died for the pagans. He died for the Satanists. He died for all men. And I want you to think about the author of who, who is writing this. He says, you know, in this passage, he said he knew Christ after the flesh. You know, he was a Pharisee. He despised Christians. He saw them as heretics. He hated the Gentiles. He saw the Gentiles as dogs. And he saw Christ as an antichrist. Now, he persecuted the church of God. He despised it. He hated it. He thought he once knew who Christ was. Now, there's many people, you know, we just come through the Christmas holidays, who think they know about the babe in the manger. 
They do not recognize him. They do not know that he is Lord today. He's still alive. And I want you to think about this. Paul wished himself a curse for his fellow brethren, for his fellow Jews that he had served what he thought was to serve the Lord along with. People that he was so fervent in his ministry with, he loved them so much he wished himself a curse. Those were the people that were persecuting him. The Jews were the ones that persecuted him the most. And yet he said that he wished himself a curse for their sake, that he would have endured their suffering if they would have received the gospel. In verse 14, Paul said, uh, he said, the love of Christ constraineth me. The word constraineth means to impel, press, and urge. It is not something that could be stopped. It reminded me of Jeremiah 29 that says this, Then I said, I will not make mention of him. Jeremiah said, I'm not going to go preach anymore. I'm done. I I face so much persecution. And this is what Paul did for a season. I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more of his name. But But his word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. That's the idea there. Paul says, I couldn't stop if I wanted to. What great love. Why don't I have that love? I ask myself sometimes. Now, how, more, how much more effective would you and I be if we had that kind of love for people? That we were willing to be a curse for Christ. You know, I think about the one that I love most, my wife. You know, would I be a curse for her, let alone sinners, to spend an eternity in hell? What kind of love is that? It's the love of Christ. You think about that He took our wrath. He took our judgment. He suffered our death, separation from God the Father. And He asked us to have that kind of love. That's the kind of love Paul had. He had the love of Christ. So we must see the scope of God's atonement and beg God to give us a heart for the nations. His grace hath appeared unto all men. All men, not just the elect, not just the chosen few, but all men. He beckons all to come. But secondly, we've seen the purview of Christ's ministry. Secondly, we see the product of Christ's ministry. What Christ's ministry accomplished. Verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Galatians 6, verse 15 says this, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Paul was a new creation. Now that word creature doesn't mean, you know, he's a new, we think of creature as like this little animal or insect. No, the word means just a, a new creation. And I want you to think about the new creation of of Paul. Somebody who hated Christ, saw him as an antichrist, who hated the Gentiles, who hated Christians, how he was transformed. I want you to think about Nicodemus. His life was changed. He was a new creation. Now he went to the tomb. And he, before many Pharisees, you know, 
in a way, rebuke them. I believe it took faith for him to do that. Think about Zacchaeus. Someone who had lived for wealth, stole from others. He went back and he said, no, I don't love this money anymore. He gave back far and beyond that which he took, that which he had stole. These people, they're comp- what, what happened to them? They were born again. They were created new. God doesn't simply improve believers, but completely recreates them. All things are become new. God becomes Lord over every single part of your life when you accept Him as Lord and Savior. There are so many people that think they can hold on to this little sin. Well, it's just, I was born this way. I was born with my, 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 my cursing tongue. I was born with my lying heart. I was born you know, to be a warrior, to be someone that stresses. No. No, if you're born again, you're a new creation. You now have Christ. He's, he is now your life. Now, what a marvelous product that Christ has done. And it's all because He so loved the world. But secondly, we see a new relationship. Verse 18 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us by himself, by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are reconciled to God by Christ Jesus. Now usually, first let me define reconciliation. David Cloud defined reconciliation in this way, in his uh, Way of Life Encyclopedia. To change from enmity, which, which means enemy, to friendship, to restore a relationship. You know, those of us that are married, <laughs> we know what it is to be reconciled. <laughs> We've gotten into those arguments. And you know, usually when an argument happens, it usually ends up being two people at fault. There might not be, you know, there might just be one person at fault in the beginning. When the other person, you know, bad mouths back, then there's two people at fault. And we both, you know, Amber and I, we both, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm sorry too. That's not, that's not what Christ did for us. He had nothing to apologize for. Romans, turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. This is so marvelous. If this message is not a blessing to anybody else, it's certainly been a blessing to me. Uh, verse, starting in verse 6 of Romans chapter 5. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure. For a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You know, we were the enemies of God. Christ was, Christ was never our enemy. God has never been man's enemy. He's always stood there extending His hands, beckoning, please, why don't, why don't you trust me? Why don't you come to me? 
But man is always opposed from the day of Adam. Man's always resisted. Man's always fought back. And yet Christ, Christ reconciled, comes and in such a marvelous way gives Himself for us to redeem us, to make us His friends. And Jesus told His disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. I'm not saying that word for word. And First John tells us that we're now the sons of God. We were the enemies. We opposed Him. We sought to, to destroy His plan. We hated His law. You know, I talked about liars and the sodomites and all, all those. They were in the face of God, opposing God. And yet Christ said, I love you. And I'm going to give myself to you. I'm going to give you a chance to come unto me. What marvelous truth. And until you and I see the world, see the purview of our ministry, the scope of our ministry all around us, as Christ did, we will never be effective. We'll get worn down like Paul did. We'll get beat down. But it gets better than that. Thirdly, we see the perpetuation of Christ's ministry. You know, I hear often many people say, you know, Christ's earthly ministry. Christ's earthly ministry, like it was something in, like something in the past. Like, yeah, it was when Christ was on earth, that was his earthly ministry. No, Christ's ministry is still continuing. He's still saving souls. He's still reconciling sinners. But he's doing it through his church, through the body of Christ, through us. Look at verse 18. Let me get back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 18. It says this, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Christ's earthly ministry is still happening. He is still turning his enemies into his friends. Christ has given the church, the body of Christ, the ministry of reconciling the world into himself. What a privilege. Now, people, they don't understand the importance and the power of Christ's church. So many people oppose the church. They don't realize that they're truly opposing God. What powerful truth. He has has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Matthew Verses 28 through 18 through 20, or Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, tell us this. This was Christ giving uh, his disciples, his church, the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He says, all power is given unto me, now go. In other words, I'm giving you this authority, now go. You have everything that you need. I've reconciled you, I've purchased you with my own blood, now go and teach all nations. And, he, and he, his, earthly, no, his, his bodily presence departed, but he's still here. He's still walking in the midst of his churches. And he's still reconciling sinners. John 20, verse 21 says, Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. 
as the Father sent the Son into the world to reconcile it, so Christ sends His church. As God the Father sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life, so God sends His church into the world. Go reconcile it. Go win it to the world. Or go, go win it to, to Jehovah. What marvelous truth. You know, we, we read in Sunday school class about Joshua, who had his enemies come, and he had the men there put their, their foot upon the necks of their enemies. You know, Joshua, he's a type of Christ. And I want you to look, look at Ephesians chapter 1. This, is, this just hit me this morning as he was going through this. This is powerful. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. <clears throat> he says, And hath put all things under his feet, talking about Christ, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Christ has put all things under his feet. And he's given that power, that authority to the church of God. What marvelous truth. The ministry still continues. Christ's not done. And he's going to continue his work until he comes back again in a bodily presence to continue the work some more. Finish his work. Until every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not, it's not over. Now, wait, what's, the, what's the movie? God's Not Dead. <laughs> He's not dead, though. That movie is terrible. But God's not dead. He's still continuing His work. And so often we act and live a life you know, fearful and burdened down with ministry, thinking that, oh, it's all about us. No, it's not about us. It's about Christ. This is His work. Now you, hear, you hear men talk about, uh, talk to pastors, you know, Pastor Byler, Pastor Byler, somebody might ask Pastor Byler, you know, what's your ministry? You know, it's not ultimately your ministry. It's the Lord's ministry. It's not Pastor Webb's ministry. It's the Lord's ministry. This is the Lord's church. And it's not about any man. And it's not about some man's authority. It's about the Lord's authority. He's given all power, all authority. The phrase, I think I might have got ahead of myself here, let's see. Oh yes, so, so how do we go about accomplishing this task? The task of reconciling the world unto Christ as Christ did. We do it using the word of reconciliation, which Christ said he gave us. The phrase, committed unto us, literally means to lay upon or to put it upon us. It's like the Lord gave us his word and said, and just laid it upon and said, all right, it's your responsibility now, and went away and went to heaven. All power is given to me. I've given you my word. It's yours. Now use it. Go reconcile the world with it. What a responsibility. And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not advocating open theism, where if, you know, we, don't, if we don't go out and win the world, then it's not going to happen. No. If we don't go out and win the world, the Lord will remove our candlestick and give that responsibility to somebody else. He'll allow somebody else. He'll destroy his church and allow some other church to go accomplish his will. His will will get accomplished. As we learned in Sunday school, 
The truth always moves forward. But why would we, why would we neglect so great a privilege? It's the church's responsibility to proclaim it. Albert Barnes writes in his commentary, The meaning is that the office of making known the nature of this plan and the condition on which God was willing to be reconciled to man has been committed to the ministers of the gospel. Romans 10 verses 14 through 15 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. How are they going to hear if the church does not go out and proclaim it? The pillar and ground of the truth. The world doesn't have the truth. The church does. And if they don't hear it from the church, where are they going to hear it from? This is our sole responsibility as the body of Christ. And the Lord has broken my heart over how much I've neglected to see the world as He saw the world, as He sees the world. We also see that we are in the place of Christ as we've been looking at. Verse 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you've turned and get back over there. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then, so in other words, now then, it could also be translated, because of this, or now then, or for this cause, we are ambassadors for Christ. Albert Barnes again writes, At all times and in all countries, an ambassador is a sacred character, and his person is regarded as inviolable. He is bound implicitly to obey the instructions of his sovereign, and as far as possible to do only what the sovereign would do were he himself present. Ministers are ambassadors for Christ, as they are sent to do what he would do were he personally present. They are to make known and to explain and enforce the terms on which God is willing to be reconciled to God. They are not to negate or they are not to negotiate on any terms, nor to change those things which God has proposed, nor to follow their own plans or devices, but they are simply to urge, explain, state, and enforce the terms on which God is willing to be reconciled to God. You know, it is not our responsibility to figure out how to reconcile. No, let's, let's try to figure out some new, you know, you know new truth. New, you know, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't look for new techniques like the things we're doing online and all that. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But, you know, we ought, we, ought not, we ought to be very careful we don't change what's been given, what's been commanded. The truth does not change. Cultures change. But God's word does not change and His ultimatum never changes. So, you know, some, some might ask, well, then what about, what about all these that are refusing? What about them? What about the teenagers that are, are going off in other churches? If we don't have music in the church, if we don't try to bring them in with carnal things, now how are we to win them? It doesn't matter. It does not matter. We're simply to proclaim the truth. And if we... If 
we start bringing in carnal things, we're, we're representing God in a carnal manner. That's heresy. We ought to be careful. So we are His ambassadors. We represent Him to the world. Fourthly, lastly, we see the prerequisite to Christ's ministry. When I say Christ's ministry, again, I'm talking about the current ministry the church has been given. Verse, uh, let's look at um, verse 20 to 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, we are to be reconciled positionally to God. But this book, this passage, this was actually written to believers. And Paul states, you need to be reconciled. Look again at it. It says, Be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I believe that's talking about sanctification. He's saying be reconciled to God. God has reconciled you, but you still need to be reconciled. We have the old man still. That He has done all that is necessary with His substitutionary atonement for us to be made the righteousness of God in Him. We cannot be his ambassadors if we are not in agreement with him. We cannot be effective unless others can see Christ in us. Again, if we're using carnal, man, or carnal tools, no, we, are, we are hindering the work of Christ and we're, we're portraying Christ in a way that he's not. It is so important that we keep ourselves in check. And that's what Paul did. You know, Paul, he, was, he, was, he began looking at his suffering, his worry. You know, for the church at Corinth, people, they were you know, denying his apostleship and all this. But when he saw things from God's perspective, when he reconciled his mind with God, he had a new perspective. So I ask you, do you understand the responsibility you have as Christ's ambassadors? Do you understand the responsibility you have to carry out Christ's ministry? And are you reconciled to God? Lastly, let's just look at Romans chapter 5 and I'll be done. Romans chapter 5 verses 17 through 21. This is really interesting. Now the Lord is working to make us the righteousness of God in Him. Now positionally, He already sees us righteous. But you and I, we have a lot of, lot of growing to do. Romans 5, <clears throat> verses 17 through 21. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift, came upon all men into justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. 
Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness into, into eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. He has given us new life in Christ. We are new creatures. And he says here, Paul writes here, where, great, where sin abound, grace did much more abound. There is an overabundance of grace for you and I to portray the righteousness of God in Him, to live out His righteousness. But we must be reconciled. Now, I've, I've come to the realization that I've got a lot of work to do on myself. I think we all do. No, I'm a fan. I know a lot of people aren't, but I am a fan of New Year's resolutions because I am a—I'm someone that's always looking to achieve. I'm an overachiever, and I'm always looking, striving to, to to find out new ways to be better. I really do like New Year's resolutions, and we're about to go into the year 2020. If anyone here has not been reconciled unto God and sees the world as He sees the world. If we've neglected, we need to repent. We need to remind ourselves what Christ has commanded be in agreement with Him about our ministry, about our purpose, about our life, no matter the suffering, no matter the defamation we may face from others, the people will tell their lies no matter the persecution, just be reconciled.